and welcome to Let's Get Weirding. I'm Megan Sunday. And I'm Bo North. On this show, we discuss Frank Herbert's Dune series, chapter by chapter. And this week, chapter two. We are guestless today, I should say. It's just you and I sitting down to talk, Megan. Yeah, it's just just us this time. Uh, we're going to be introducing uh, another set of our cast of characters this week. Uh, this this chapter is the one that introduces the Harkonnens. Yes. Uh, now, as we said last time, uh, every chapter begins with a quote by the Princess Arulin, uh from one of her many, 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 many <laughs> works. So many books. So many. Uh, she, uh, again, in case you have only seen the David Lynch movie, would be the floating head of Virginia Madsen. Yes. <laughs> so would you like to read it? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Um, all right. So this is from the Manual of Muad'Dib by the Princess Urulan. To attempt an understanding of Muad'Dib without understanding his mortal enemies, the Harkonnens, is to attempt seeing truth without knowing falsehood. It is the attempt to see light without knowing darkness. It cannot be. So there we go. Where she's yeah. she's telling us these are the bad guys. <laughs> Although as alert, we said alert. last although as we said last time like the bad guys are kind of yeah I mean there's shades of gray all over this series. Mhm. Although they are pretty bad. Yeah, this they, chapter. They I are. Mean, it's pretty villainous. Literally all about treachery and mm-hmm. murder. Mhm. Uh possible the of course uh, the ever present specter of sexual violence. Yes. From both the Baron and from Peter. I feel like this, um, it kind of introduces these characters. Like, when this chapter opens, we meet the Baron, we meet Fade, his nephew, and his, their mentat, um, Peter, Piter, I'm not sure which one is correct. Um, but the, the whole, like, setting and everything, because he spends, like, two paragraphs describing, like, jeweled rings and this table of like pink wood and like all of this mm-hmm. okay so it's like very opulent and yeah very it sounds like very luxurious which is it, it kind of like uh made me th- really think about the previous adaptations and how like they show when they introduce the harkonnens on gaydu prime it's always very like dripping and you know <laughs> yeah it's very and, gross yeah it's gross so it's like mm, I I think like it would be they would be more villainous today if you introduce them the way that they're written because of just the way that the world is right now <laughs> and the way mm-hmm. things are going on like in our country like it would be more of a like a signal that like hey these dudes are only in it for themselves and power and money like it's amazing how this is supposed to be 10,000 years in the future and we're still like playing all these games for money and power. Yeah. The globe that he is using of Arrakis has platinum wire and diamonds. Yeah. For a globe. Yeah. This is is, a globe. It is never like that is never represented in the adaptations. Like you don't know. I don't think not enough. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. always just like, Oh, they're all kind of gross and vaguely steampunky. <laughs> yeah. That's no, not that's that's not how they're written at all. No. Uh so this chapter is the like we said, the introduction of the Harkonnens, mm-hmm. and we learn more about the rivalry between the two the two houses. And we learn that the Harkonnens are actually plotting with the Emperor. Yeah. to destroy house atreides yeah it is a trap yeah the atreides family taking over arrakis is all a trap mm-hmm. uh they are planning to send them to arrakis lure them into a sense of false security and then the harkonnens have managed to break the imperial conditioning of dr Yue, whom we have not met yet but he is the it's like the doctor sort of advisor yeah. figure in the Atreides household. And he is going to allow them to come in with an Imperial force and mm-hmm. 
destroy the family. Uh, except, and this is something that is is brought up for the Lady Jessica, whom Peter wants as his sort of spoils of war. Yeah, ew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're explaining all of this to Fade, who uh, is actually, I think, the first and last time <laughs> kind of relatable in this chapter. Because so mm-hmm. Fade is, is the Baron's nephew. He's his heir apparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 16. And he really does not want to be in this meeting. He's a sullen 16. He's sullen. He's just sort of sitting there. He does not want to be there because he thought that he was going to get to learn some cool secrets and information. And at first, he's not getting any of that. Yeah. And Peter initially does not want to share any of these things with him. uh, But the Baron insists upon it. And then Fade starts to get sort of, you know, then he's into it once he realizes that he's going to get to learn cool secrets yeah i think it's sort of the last time that he's relatable whatsoever (laughs) yeah i mean he's just um i don't know i kind of forgot that he was like a surly teen in the early part of this book and like i don't know i feel like because they spend so much time like he's like this looming kind of threat that they kind of mention every once in a while throughout the book that you forget, like, you build him up in your head to be this boogeyman, and he's just, like, you know, a surly teenage guy. Yeah. I don't want to say boy, because he's not really a boy, but, yeah. And uh, what I what I kind of liked was that he doesn't particularly like his uncle. No. <laughs> yeah. Not not at all. Uh, which is understandable. Yeah. Because uh, even, even in this brief introduction, you know, the Baron is very just overbearing and mm-hmm. creepy and there's a lot you know he and, and peter are just constantly just sniping at each other yes and it gets to a point where i think you know at one point fate is like maybe i should go yeah <laughs> should i just step out of here guys because you two seem like you're having a whole situation <laughs> uh peter is addicted to spice yeah uh, which is a whole thing like the baron is like kind of giving him kind of giving him shit about it yeah he's kind of Uh, rousing him about it but he you know kind of points out that that's something that's how the baron controls him yeah almost because he provides peter with what he needs to feed his addiction there's a lot of i i brought this up just before we went on and the the baron is very like the way he talks is very like he calls Fade darling a lot. You know, my it's darling very, Fade, my darling nephew. It's very just like it's oh, very hello. grandiose. Like yeah. he's very like mm-hmm. plantation owner kind of way yeah. of speaking. You, yeah, you just imagine if you were hearing this that it all sounds so fake. Yeah, it's like a fake gentility. I feel like yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the point when we mentioned that they get a communication from. Duke Leto, where he mm-hmm. does not address the Baron with any kind of title. Yeah, I guess it's um, like some kind of custom that they, like, in go outgoing family sit down with the incoming family and like talk things over or whatever. But Leto has said, "Nah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. He's not interested." Uh, this is the first sort of example that we get of uh, Mentat abilities, where he demands that Peter just like discuss the entire plan uh he gets a lot into the probability of the plan that they have set out uh because they they do have to acknowledge the possibility that the atreides family apparently there is some precedence for this might just disappear uh that they might since they're moving their entire household they might just take everything and go rogue right so they have to assume first and foremost that they're going to end up on arrakis at all but the Baron isn't too worried about that because that's really not an Atreides sort of trait. Like, they're very unlikely to do that. And then the big thing that we learn is that, so they have, Dr. Yue is uh, a Sukh school graduate, so he has imperial conditioning, mm-hmm. which means that he can't, he's ostensibly can never be broken. Right. Uh, he'd be completely loyal to whatever house or person that he is loyal to. However, though we don't learn how, the Harkonnens have managed to break that 
to ensure that he will betray the Atreides. Yeah. Um, we also find out that they have they have realized that the Atreides meant at uh, Thufir, mm-hmm. how it will not suspect Dr. Yue because he has this Imperial conditioning. Yeah, uh, or that he they... will, but will immediately dismiss it and be like, yeah. oh, couldn't be him. Yeah. But they, they know that the Atreides know that there is likely a traitor or a mole amongst them. Mm-hmm. But they believe that uh, how it will suspect Lady Jessica. Yeah. Which is something that will really come into play later on because uh, certain things that she does will kind of lend themselves to look a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's a Betty Jesuit and, and a woman plans <laughs> and a woman. Yeah. Um, well, this will. Yeah. This, so that that this possibility of that suspicion that they discuss in this chapter will really come into play later on because that is, in fact, what happens. And it affects a lot going down uh particularly with one character who mm-hmm. takes it really really to heart yeah that could be lady jessica and maybe shall we say gets a little blotto about it yeah um maybe just maybe <laughs> this is one of those times i feel like the series is pretty hard on women yeah yeah is this treatment of, of jessica i think that jessica is like one of the best characters and you know, part partly because like she spent so much time just getting taking shit from people. Yeah, that that they definitely this whole. I mean, a big part of this whole discussion mm-hmm. is so is very anti Jessica. Yeah, you know, they talk about how Paul has had training, you know, from mm-hmm. his witch mother, and. Again, like we said, you know, Peter wants Jessica as his prize once this has all gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, then they, you know, this whole plan where, oh, they're going to think that she is the traitor. You know, this. there's a lot of, well, let's all turn, like, everything that could be going awry mm-hmm. is pretty much going awry because of her. Right. <laughs> they even reference that, you know, one of the things that the Baron brings up to say that Peter has been wrong in the past is that, Peter had said that Jessica was going to have a daughter, mm-hmm. which she did not. She had Paul. So even that, you know, it's like you couldn't even get that right. She couldn't even get that right. And we do learn then that the many Jesuits mostly have daughters and that the em- the emperor's wife, who is also a Betty Jesuit, has had five. Five daughters and no sons. Five daughters and no sons. Just like Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> There's the crossover that I'm writing. <laughs> yeah. Does uh, this make a rule in Lydia Bennett, then? I think she's the oldest. It makes her Jane. <laughs> oh, boy. That may... Oh, no, I'm not she's getting like into Jane, it. Jane, Lizzie together. Yeah, okay. Look for my novel, Pride and Prejudice in Dune. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice on Arrakis. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that is bleak. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not. Yikes. <laughs> I feel like there is definitely one of the prequels that is about that their house. Maybe that's Pride and Prejudice in Dune. I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah. We'll, Maybe we'll it's all about their, their sniffing sister ways. So I feel like this is kind of like, you know, things are starting to be set in motion. And, and I feel like this beginning part, at least these early chapters, move really quickly. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we also, oh, and this is something that has come up twice now because it's brought up in the first chapter too, is this belief that there are very few people actually living on Arrakis. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the Baron's plan focuses around that there's a very small population uh particularly of fremen the indigenous people of arrakis Mm -hmm. and that they're easily controlled because there's only like a couple hundred of them yeah and that is something that came up in the first chapter too because paul asked about you know the people of arrakis and was told oh there aren't that many there aren't that many and those that are there you know don't think very kindly of the harkonnens because they were very cruel Mm-hmm. Etc. And I think they mentioned too that there are some like minor houses that live on Arrakis, like some minor nobility, yeah. but like nobody important. Yeah, no, I don't think that 
it's just like the kind of lower a couple earls yeah maybe <laughs> like a marquess right <laughs> a count or two yeah <laughs> yeah actually there is yeah isn't that the fenrings are that's true a count and a lady because also brought up is that the Atreides are probably not going to move into the city where the Harkonnens were set up, but will yeah. be moving into Arakeen, which is a different city, which yeah. is where the Fenrings lived. Oh, which... another thing they point out, and this is kind of important, is that they've already planned an attempt on Paul's life. And yes. whether or not that succeeds, they'll still carry on with their plans to, you know, basically kill all of them whether or not that early attempt but i think they're just trying to destabilize the you know like the house of treaties pretty much right away and yeah you know that's that's a pretty good way to do it we also learned that the emperor one the emperor is involved because mm -hmm. it is his forces uh that will be attacking the why why is this entire book full of things that i have to now pronounce on a podcast <laughs> uh the Sardaukar. Yeah, that's right. Who are the sort of, the Imperial fighting force, like, they're unstoppable. No one can beat them. Mm. They will be coming in disguise uh, to wipe out the house. Because they. it's very important that the other great houses cannot know that the Emperor is involved. Yeah, because like, Leto's pretty popular with them. And if they knew that the Emperor was doing this, they would probably think, like, well what's stopping him from doing this to us yeah yeah so it's definitely a very it's a very complicated plan mm -hmm. uh and i believe part i don't remember if it comes up at this point but i believe part of their plan later is that either previously his other nephew uh the beast raban mm -hmm. was in charge or yeah. is going yeah he was in charge and he was the one who was very cruel their kind of idea is then to set in, send in Fade because he'll be awful but less awful. Right. <laughs> Which is, uh, I believe, straight out of The Prince by Machiavelli. Machiavelli, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I do like that we're not... The villains, quote-unquote, the Harkonnens are not... They're not stupid. Like, they're not bumbling villains. No. Um... I do think that that is something that gets kind of underscore, undercut by, like we said, like depicting them as, oh, it's so gross and steampunky and weird and yeah. things like that. Because Look at this fat this, oaf. Yeah. yeah. You know, they can't possibly have a good plan. Because like, I think that entire, like this entire sequence in the movie is like that the Baron is getting his boils popped. Yeah, it's gross. And the Beast Raban is just like in a corner breathing weird and then yep. sting comes out of a sauna <laughs> and his in little bikini briefs. yeah <laughs> and we just go well Boy, these guys that, are that's branded mm. into my brain <laughs> let's just be the cover of the blu-ray because <laughs> that's all anyone's there to see uh with their their very very dyed red hair yes um but yeah but this i think this is not a bad plan <laughs> No, I mean whether or not it will work. All, we for all its intricacies, yeah, they definitely have. I mean, they have a plan down. That's mm -hmm. for sure, and they've even like considered redundancies, like possibly like the family might get off Arrakis, and you know they have like the emperor has set, told his like plan his ecologist. Is, is that right? He's the planetary ecologist, mm -hmm. Dr. Kynes, Like will you know, stop them from leaving the planet. So, you know. Yeah, if, if they try to be... go, like, into the desert, mm -hmm. he's there to get them if they try to do that. Yeah. Um, and there's more. So also, I, I mean. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, I, I actually really like that they're setting this character that we'll get to know in subsequent chapters. Like, they're kind of setting him up as, like, this, you know, like a, a piece on a chessboard that is, you know, with the with the bad guys let's just call them the villains mm -hmm. um but that's not necessarily you know there's de like with everything in this series like there's more to it than that yeah yeah and it's definitely a plan that 
the first couple, like, I think the first time I read this book, I didn't really quite get all the moving pieces of it. I'll be honest, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was, I thought, oh, well, okay, they're going to attack and like, what difference does it make about this doctor? And well, okay, is he just going to like unlock the door or whatever? And then yeah. once you start to realize the little things like that, you know, the emperor is sending his soldiers mm-hmm. and that guarantees that they are going to wipe out everybody because that is what they do. Right. And certainly nobody could possibly fight any of them and kill any of them. <laughs> no, not certainly not. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it's not like I have a real vendetta here. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, I like that they actually, uh, Duke Leto uses that word in his, uh, his letter to the Baron. It's like, you know, the old, the old ways still hold and I still have a vendetta. Against mm-hmm. you, <laughs> it's just like you guys need. I does anyone even remember what this dumb feud is about? Just let it go already. The art of Canley, which then you have to look that up in the glossary because it's just a word. Yeah, I believe it was made up for Dune. It's like ah, I assume. But then he kind of explains it. You know, he says, "Oh, a vendetta." Although I do kind of like that the Baron doesn't care. Like I think Peter cares more than the Baron does because he says. He, he calls you just Harkonnen. And yeah. the Baron's like, well, it's a good name. Yeah. Like, move it along. I don't care what he said. <laughs> yeah. You know, Peter's really, like, more offended. He seems to be even, like, I would say the Baron even seems to be, like, sort of, in, in his own weird way, sort of, like, respects the Duke and his family. Mm-hmm. Like, sort of has, like, a begrudging respect for him. Because, like, as far as enemies go, like, he's been a good one, I suppose. I think that's it. And I mean, even when Peter brings up the possibility that they might just flee, he says, you know, like, well, no, like, I want, I want to kill him. Mm -hmm. I have to do this. Like, you know, this isn't something where it would be good enough to just have them go away. Like, this is an enemy that he has to destroy. And a lot of it just sort of comes down to people like the Duke. Mm-hmm. And they don't really like the Baron or the Emperor. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that the makes Emperor. That a threat. Yeah. Yeah. I also like when they explain that there's, that the Emperor is interested in smuggling that um, that goes on and off Arrakis. And Fade is just like, well, I don't, why would he care about that? And they're like, because the Spacing Guild controls everything. Yeah. You can't get, you know, assassins or spies or anything on and off planets unless you have smugglers. And Fade's just like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's like, okay, Fade, come on. <laughs> yeah, and why it's important to have stockpiles of spice. Do they get into that in this chapter? They do. Don't I they? don't know if they do. I think the most reference of spice is Peter's addiction to it. Right. He okay. eats it he eats it like candy. <laughs> and I believe he his are the first reference to the blue and blue spice eyes. Yeah. Because he has them. That is what happens when you consume a lot of melange. Yeah. Your eyes become blue and blue. There's no white. That's been depicted in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's, you know, blue irises that are just really blue. Sometimes it's just like a sh- full blue eye. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of those things that you can just kind of imagine. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to see how they'll portray that in the movie i would really like like for them to do like a really like full solid blue like freaky dark blue eye Mm -hmm. yeah they're usually very glowy yeah i don't need the glowy i just want it to be very blue yeah because it's not it's always something that people notice immediately but i don't get that you know it's not glowing it's just that's not how eyes are supposed to look (laughs) right (laughs) like i'm thinking and this is um you know, one of my other nerdy obsessions coming out um, of Supernatural. Now the demons have, like, the black eyes. Like, that, but blue. Like when people had the the black, like, oil on the X-Files? Yes. <laughs> Always a big moment when that, when that came out. <laughs> and then mostly we learned that there's a point where the Baron says that maybe they should have kept thinking machines around because he's so sick of Peter and Peter is just like, I'm better than that. Well, there's that. And also the fact that like as advanced as his brain is, he's still human and humans still Mm -hmm. err. Like they can still make mistakes and he's an addict. So 
Yep. You know, he is kind of like <laughs> sort of a faulty machine at that point. So he's a very salty machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, yeah, they are. There's so much sniping in this chapter. I had forgotten. Like, there's it's very basically bitchy. a part where the Baron's like, I should have someone strangle you to death right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, I hate you so much. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh, no, you, yeah, you do, but. Uh, what are you gonna do you need me he, he doesn't really seem to have a problem with it he's just like yeah okay whenever that time comes you know where i'll be yeah i think the only times that he really gets upset about it is when the baron says that maybe they shouldn't have uh banned thinking machines because yeah. maybe he would just prefer to have one of those and when he there is the suggestion that if who first suspects lady jessica that he might kill her himself but that um, Peter doesn't think that he'll do it and that he hopes that he's right in that because as we've said he wants Jessica uh, and the Baron's basically like oh yeah you wouldn't like that what, what did you what will you do will you be sad like you can't have Lady Jessica and they kind of just glare at each other and fade is uncomfortable <laughs> yeah as you would be and this is the household and I think it's interesting that I think in the miniseries too that they bring the beast ban into it in that scene and he's not there yeah it's just three of them i guess it's just in- easier to introduce yeah him that way yeah because i don't remember when he even shows up i'm sure it's awful whatever he's doing yeah probably killing someone yeah so that is chapter two that's chapter two that check that bad boy off <laughs> and we know that there aren't really quote-unquote chapters but yeah. there's sections that are definitely marked off mm-hmm. by good old Rulin and her quotes so yeah that it's helpful (laughs) and it is a nice way to like break break the scenes and introduce new characters and stuff so that was like a good way a clever way to sort of introduce you know the villains of this book I will say that one thing about this book that always gets me is how often people use people's full names Mm-hmm. And I get that it's like, but it's not just someone will think, um, cause I, I was just looking and I saw when like Gurney walks in, I think it's the next chapter, but you know, Paul thinks like, oh, there's Gurney Halleck. And then he says, oh, Gurney Halleck. Yeah. <laughs> or Duncan Idaho or, you know. Well, that one sounds like something you'd say all at once. Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> uh should we speaking of speaking of of. (laughs) yeah should we talk about this because we had a minor (sighs) meltdown earlier this week i know one of us did i won't say which it was (laughs) it it was me (laughs) oh no it was also also me i saw this because that was one i felt like i had i had a real scoop i saw it first and i was like texting you just like oh (laughs) please look at this right now yeah wow <laughs> what if she's eating dinner or hanging out with her family no, no she needs to see this <laughs> no all my family are on another coast and that's just fine um, <laughs> no- so there are two more big casting announcements for yeah. the new dune movie this this past mm-hmm. week yeah we finally uh, have our gurney and they did not go with my suggestion of keanu reeves <laughs> i am devastated yeah, they went with Josh Rowland. Eh. Yeah. Eh. yeah, that was my reaction. Um, it's like he's fine. He's he's a he's a very workmanlike actor. I feel like. Yeah, I guess I'm just sort of hard pressed to think of anything specifically that I am like really like. Oh my gosh, Josh Bro, I don't know the Goonies. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> the I mean, television I, show The Young Riders. I didn't really care for his character that much in. Um, no country for old men. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and what else? Like, I hate Thanos. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna put this out there. Like, I know he's a villain, and we're supposed to hate him, but like, I just particularly think that he's not a good villain, and mm. sucks. And I really like Brolin is so hammy as Thanos that it's just like <laughs> it's it's too much ham. I cannot. Yeah, Thanos. when you out ham when you out ham Loki in a scene, for I think okay. Yes, thank you. That's exactly what I mean. Like it's just <laughs> it was like too much, and like 
I don't know. Like, I have a lot of problems with that Avengers movie, that last one, and most of it is it has to do with Thanos and that, in particular, like, that portrayal of Thanos. So mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm going to get a gazillion comments calling me an idiot and an ignorant woman. Fine, whatever. My block button works just fine. <laughs> but it's just, like, he's not an actor that I'm, like, if I hear he's in something, like, I rush out to see it. I think he's yeah. fine. He's fine. And Gurney is, I mean, Gurney's pretty big character, but... I think I think he essential. can do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can believe that he's seen some battles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He'll he's be no fine. Patrick Stewart. No. Who is, but though? who is. <laughs> I know. You know. That's the problem with anything. <laughs> stepping into that kind of role. Yeah. Even if you're Tom Hardy and you're playing a clone of someone. <laughs> that was Patrick Stewart. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> um. But then we have the other big piece of casting news, which I think is one that people were really waiting for, which is they have cast, uh, uh, in theory, I mean, I think this is, again, these are all things where we hear they're in talks. I think Josh Brolin is pretty much confirmed because he posted about Mm -hmm. it on Instagram. Yeah. Um, And I guess that's that's pretty much an actor saying that they're doing it. Yeah. um, At least for now. Uh, Maybe we'll have someone dramatically step out of the role, like... You know, when that guy from Sons of Anarchy stepped out of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, oh, yeah. I, complete, I forget about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been in such a different movie. It very much would have. Um, but so they have cast Duncan Idaho. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have. Jason Momoa, our favorite male celebrity. My man. <laughs> My man. Woo! <laughs> Looking forward I... to hearing a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little sad that my hashtag Duncan I don't know didn't take off. Yeah, Come on Twitter. That's Come how on. I. F- that's how I feel about this casting. I'm just like, oh no. Making a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> and a lot of people um, assume that because I'm in the romance world and I write romance that I would be excited about this. I'm just like, look, we don't all like the same things, okay? There's a lot of people in romance land that don't care for Jason Momoa. I just... I like Jason Momoa. I mean, it's, you know, I thought that Conan movie he did wasn't the worst thing. Uh, I liked him on Stargate Atlantis. And this is a blind spot in my pop culture knowledge that you know so much more he about. He basically played a like an alien warrior. Yeah. Who had been on the run from space vampires. Oh. Um, as you do. And they had a lot of fright wigs. Mm-hmm. And he Yeah. And he had a brief romance with Jewel State's character, but then she picked David Hewlett instead. Uh so, spoiler alerts for a show that ended like 10 years ago. <laughs> Stargate Atlantis. Check it out. It has space vampires. They have long, long, long wigs. <laughs> the wigs are intense. Like, every time they show up, it's just like, <laughs> I'm hoping um, for some good wigs in this movie. Yeah. Um. So, I guess I'm just, I, there is, I do have a sort of feeling that now we're just kind of, I'm, I'm happy that they went, that the, the cast could be more diverse Mm -hmm. but i'm glad that they went with some diversity to cast duncan idaho yeah because i do think that you know when you see a lot of people talk about it like i think all the previous actors who have played him were white Mm -hmm. um i i've always felt how he's described in the text that he does not sound white i I just read like his first like introduction um chapter and he is described as having brown skin so okay yeah. yeah Um, but then... So he should be played by an actor of color. I totally agree. I just feel like there probably would have been better choices than Jason Momoa. Yeah, and I feel that he's a character that you could, even if he wasn't described that way in the text, you could easily cast him that way. Because oh, totally. Because it's not, you know, fine, like, pick the best person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but think outside the box. But I think that, I don't know, I just feel like that's a lot. Maybe it's just because Jason Momoa is so, like in right now Mm because aquaman was like such a big hit and um 
I will admit I have not seen Aquaman. I have not either. <laughs> I like Patrick Wilson. I wish Patrick Wilson was in this movie, but uh, me too. they haven't asked me I mean, about it. Keep, no one asked me. Let's keep our fingers crossed that we get like, you know, a last hour like announcement <laughs> that he's been cast as something in this movie. Somebody, whoever's yeah. left. Leah uh, is left. Thufir is left. They still have some. I guess my, it's just, I don't know because... I mean, these. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I doubt this is a spoiler. But Duncan Idaho comes back and back and back and back and back. And back. He's not really in this first book at all that mm-hmm. much. No. Uh, he was sort of just, I think, a character that people really liked. So then Frank Herbert brought him back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ad infinitum. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> so I, I just, I don't know if I can see that with. Jason Momoa but a lot of that is just based on other things I've seen him in and I'm I'm just you know I can see the warrior aspects but I don't know that that's necessarily such a huge part of the later stories that would have to involve Duncan Idaho so yeah he's so central in the subsequent books that I mean that's a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of kind of intense acting would be called for yeah i just don't know that i've i've never seen jason momoa do drama yeah and i do think that even though this is you know a genre piece mm-hmm. there's there's drama uh there's you know mm-hmm. so i don't know uh it's <laughs> i have to say like now on imdb listing for the movie jason momoa is now top build he is the top build person. I feel like it's gonna happen yeah. with Duncan Idaho just in general because he's like the guy. Yeah, he is the character that people really latch onto. Um, I did some investigating. People write a lot of fan fiction mm-hmm. about Duncan Idaho. <laughs> you did do some investigating, and that I was, was sad that I did it. <laughs> some of it made me sad. <laughs> I will what, be honest. What was some of the better, what wackier crossover fanfic that you found? There was one that I think crossed Dune over with probably every other pop culture just franchise in existence. Like Doctor Who, was, Supernatural, and it was Sherlock. Like Doctor Who, <laughs> Supernatural. I think Sherlock made it out, uh, actually, okay. but like Star Wars, Star Trek, um, like, I think, I don't even know, Babylon 5, you know, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, uh, Lord of the Rings, just everything. I think out of all of those, Battlestar Galactica makes the most sense. I mean, I, yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to picture the whole Lord of the Rings thing. And I, I mean, I didn't read any of this fanfic, so maybe it, it comes together beautifully, but, um... I don't I don't know. I mean, mm. some of it was obviously written to be a funny crossover because mm. I remember like those sorts of, you know, contests and stuff. Where it's oh, like, yeah. Oh, right. Write a silly story about your character doing blank. Yeah. But there were there was a few that definitely involved uh, created characters who were hooking up with Duncan Idaho because mm. that's a big thing. Oh, um, yeah. I would say Duncan Idaho is the Jasper Hale of this series. In that there's more He's a confederate? <laughs> yeah, no, there's more fanfic about him than the rest of the the ensemble. People write fanfic about Jasper? So much. Oh my <gasps> god. He is the most fanfic of all of the Twilight characters. But he's in a long-standing relationship. He is. They all are. He is. But sometimes those things can be flexible. That's true. That's yeah. the glory of fanfic. Yeah. Um I can't. I at the end of the day, I throw I no stones. Living in I used a world... to write Les Miserables fanfic. No, I I love living in a world where fanfic exists. I write fanfic, so like I'm not throwing stones or shade at anybody for no. writing it. <laughs> Just I think sometimes I would rather see like a fanfic version of something get getting made than the actual thing that gets made. I don't think that that will be the case with this, but we will see. I think the issue with sometimes with something like Dune is that people 
can pick and choose. I mean, this is the problem. Like, this happens with any fanfic is that you're mm-hmm. not really going to get a lot of the overarching themes of the work because a lot of right. it you are working because you like the characters mm-hmm. or the world and not necessarily, I don't know, the grander philosophical concepts. So, I mean, I wouldn't say based on what actually happens in Dune that Duncan Idaho is necessarily just out, you know, Tom mm-hmm. catting it around right. to the extent that is probably being written. <laughs> he definitely is because Jessica does give him some, some stuff about that. Yeah. Uh, later on, which I think is probably like the line that launches a thousand fanfics. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm not the first one to have this theory, but I have some theories about Duncan Idaho and his thoughts about Lady Jessica, but hmm. yeah, I'm sure but that hasn't that's been for later. Oh, I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> How could you though? She loves the Duke. She loves Leto. He, she does. She loves them the most. Hmm. Yeah. So that that's the latest in casting. But by the time this comes out, who knows <laughs> who else has been cast? Just, yeah. I mean, let us know what you think. Like, are you pro? Jason yeah. Momoa, yeah, I as mean, Duncan Idaho, not just in general. Like before that Amber Heard interview came out, I would have been like, "Fuck yeah, Jason Momoa, that's awesome." But like, I have a real problem with a man that assaults books for attention. <laughs> like, it's not cute. Don't mess with them. If someone, yeah, there's a very weird story. Just like if someone ripped pages out of my book to get me to pay attention to them, I would just leave. Oh, and in case anyone hasn't, like, did not read this, like, Amber Heard did, like, said that on the set of Aquaman, she would read it between takes. Yeah. And that he would tear pages out of her books in order to make he her He would turn the him. ending. He would tear the ending out of her books. And, like, she had to have, like, the, the props department make her a little bag out of the green screen material so she could, like, have her books with her at all times so Jason Momoa could not rip her pages out. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little much. Yeah. That's Jason. That's not. I'm mm. <laughs> just like, why would you do that to someone who is a, like, first of all, Amber Heard's whole history. Like, that's not cool. Yeah. 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 I, but I think it's, inter- I do think it's interesting how many people that are in this cast. There's such a, an, an interesting mix of people who have been in sort of sci-fi fantasy genre properties and mm-hmm. people who haven't. Yeah. And uh, he has because... experience with it. So. And he has experience with that. Yeah. I mean, the same with Oscar Isaac, um, you know, Josh Brolin does mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, so I think that'll be interesting to see play against, I think some of the people like, you know, uh, Dave Bautista obviously does um, that. I don't, I mean, I don't know, like Timothy Chalamet's like history with, this sort of thing like i, I don't, don't know think that he's, he's done, done any, that i don't think he's done any science fiction or you know any kind of like specific genre movie i've only yeah. seen him in the uh call me by your name and beautiful boy which is a devastating movie but he's really yeah, good and I, in it zendaya obviously has the the marvel experience as well i mm-hmm. think stellan skarsgård has done like everything but also marvel yeah um and yeah and again like yeah javier bardem i don't unless we count like a bond movie as genre which i mm-hmm. do uh and rebecca ferguson who was in the white queen which i count historical fiction is also genre plus she kind of does magic in that so yeah <laughs> like so we'll yeah, call so, like, it we're gonna count that yeah <laughs> if it's a philippa gregory there's magic yeah it's a pretty decent um it's a mini series right Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched yeah. that on Amazon like when it first came out. But yeah, so that I think yeah, I'm looking at the cast. I think we've talked about all of these except for Charlotte Rampling, but we're I don't think we're allowed to talk about Charlotte Rampling. She's no. too great. Like yeah. she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. <laughs> she can do whatever movie she would like to and it's totally fine. If she would like to just like direct the movie, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like oh yeah sure so yeah that's been cast watch for this week (laughs) (laughs) and it's the harkonnens so they would not bring this up but no mention of duplito's 
first concubine. No. Because she's not real. Yeah. So we are now, what, three three episodes in and uh, four? No, yeah. And mm-hmm. no mention so far. So we're continuing. Nope. We will follow nope. this story. So, Megan, we actually have another letter. <gasps> Hooray! I know. <laughs> and it is from a mutual friend of ours who lives in Australia named Daniel. Ah! And he says, and, and I'll read the letter, the subject is immediately off topic, so you know where this is going right away. And it is about <laughs> the our other shared mutual interest. Okay. Morning. Which I will <laughs> Morning to, he says, because he's an Australian, it's morning to him. I will read Dune someday, I promise. <laughs> Till then, a question on the Mac reunion tour. So our other sh- oh, mutual interests, yes. our other shared interests, besides romance novels, Dune, is Fleetwood Mac. We are both, yes, m- you know, mild to moderately to extremely obsessed with Fleetwood Mac. So uh, Daniel asks, how many different people would you have had to guess before getting to Neil Flynn in the Lindsay replacement stakes? I'm still shook. I'm pretty salty about that. Yeah. They should have asked me. You wanted uh, to replace Lindsay Buckingham? No. Well, no. <laughs> no. They should have asked me before even like having any of these debates with each other. Okay. They've been doing this for how long now? Come on, guys. Right. Um, I stand by the fact that he's did schedule some of his solo tour dates mm-hmm. on the same nights as their tour dates as the most <laughs> on-brand Fleetwood Mac thing it of all time. It is so him, though. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Just, I feel like he waited till they released theirs. Then he was just like, mm, August 6th, mm, August 6th. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't even in the same places. It's not like they were both, you know, in you know Vegas or New Orleans or something. But just the fact. He is so The funny. fact of it. Um, I don't know because I'm not great with musicians. Mm-hmm. I I really couldn't couldn't tell you. Yeah, honestly. Well, for me, I would have picked Keanu Reeves again. No, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I was thinking. You know, Adam Lambert has been doing like amazing work in Queen. Like, why not just let him do this too? Let him be Lindsay Buckingham too. He's already being Freddie Mercury. I mean, maybe does he play guitar? Yeah, I think so. I don't really know much about about him. Bruno Mars. He's already got the hair. <laughs> to step he's been in. doing a sting impression yeah. for years and years. <laughs> Although to be fair to him, I did see an interview once where someone was like, "Do you think you were influenced by the police?" And he was like, "Absolutely, I was." So I was like, "Okay, at least he's not trying to be like maybe I kind of sound like." Some of my songs sort of sound like police songs, <laughs> like Bruno. <laughs> Bruno, honey. Friend. <laughs> but he did, he was, he was at this, when Sting got the Kennedy Center honors mm-hmm. and of course was doing great because it, you know, um, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm trying to think of people, guitar players, and I'm probably, you know, if I start listing people, I will probably list like a bassist or something. And then we're going to get more hate mail i don't need any tweets about <laughs> oh he plays bass fine <laughs> fantastic so you to know. answer daniel's question shrug <laughs> to answer daniel's question let's just all watch the music video for seven wonders it's so good yes <laughs> uh or the little lies video because um anything off of tango in the saloon night is, girl is like my catnip yeah seriously tango in the night is like i know rumors is like everyone's favorite but tango in the night no tango in the night is great it's tight um i think that also it's there are so few bands where you just never know who's going to be singing on any given song and Mm -hmm. i just i love that so much about fleetwood mac yeah it's like how many bands have like three people who at any point are like, now I'm singing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Variety so is the spice of life. Oh, <gasps> uh, you see what uh, I did there? <laughs> that's uh, the worst. Because, like, even our... And our... Uh, 
profile picture on Twitter. Yes. Stevie Nicks with a copy of Dune. Because she is very important to us both. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, I mean, if she's carrying around a copy of Dune and wearing like a fur coat, which I don't want a fur coat, but maybe I could get like a nice faux fur coat. Yeah. And walk around with it and uh, also carry Dune. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. It's all it would up. never be as cool as Stevie, though. No. I mean, that's really all I want in life is to be half that cool. Yeah. Without all of the coke addiction, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Don Henley romance. I'm okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Pass. I'm fine. <laughs> but we love you, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's listening. Yeah, she's a big fan. <laughs> so I think that probably wraps <laughs> wraps it I, up that yeah. <laughs> nonsense letter. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, should we wrap it up then? I believe that would probably be good. Be be the best thing at this point. (laughs) Well, we'd love to hear from you. We're still wanting to hear from you and your experiences reading Dune. Uh, You can reach out to us on Twitter at WeirdingPod or at WeirdingPodcast at gmail.com. As of this recording, we, my husband and I will be setting up our website tonight. So prayers for us. Uh, <laughs> our marriage survives this. Uh, <laughs> you know how that goes. And show us your copies of Dune. Hashtag send Dunes. And still any interesting interpretations of yes. Leto the second. Leto the God second. Emperor. Our sad warm boy. The saddest. Does he have arms? Does he not have arms? Yeah. He wouldn't be able to tell by art. <laughs> no, because I feel like it's like one will show him with arms and the next will show him without. And I can't. Sometimes he has abs. Yeah. <laughs> he, I have seen him with abs. He is ripped. And I don't begin to understand how that's happening. <laughs> oh. Oh, well. Now there's someone listening to this who has not read Dude who's going, what? <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> So that's it for now. We'll see you next time with another special guest. Sammy C will be joining us for the next episode. We're really looking forward to that. Yes. Um, So I've been Bo. I've been Megan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Be sure to subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, All episodes available for download on our website, weirdingpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at WeirdingPod. Our logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit joshhollis.com to see more. Our podcast theme is by Bathhouse. Hear more of their music over at musicvine.com. 